0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Kia ora tato. Welcome to Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Tony Johnson, your host this week, coming, well, not so much off the bench, probably the wider training group to host this programme in which we're looking forward to a fascinating three weeks of international rugby. Later on in the show... We're going to introduce you to the winner of our Dream Team competition, but right now it's to our regular panellists. Tēnā kōrua, James Parsons, Bryn Hall. Bryn, uh, you first. Uh, late scratching last week. Presume the celebrations were good, <laughs> but how did that one feel for you?
2: Hey, TJ, welcome, mate. It's awesome to have you uh, on the show, mate. <laughs> um, oh, look, it was a... Um, now I was in... A big couple of days, if I've been honest. Uh, yeah, there was. I think I was probably almost missed the, almost missed the bus. Actually, I think we had a seven thirty uh, bus roll call, and um, I set my alarm for seven forty five, and almost missed it. But thankfully, my mate Sam Whitelock helped me out, and luckily, I packed my bags and I got on the bus, and then going to the airport was great and seeing our fans and supporters, and then. I mean, having a few um, with the boys before before they all disperse the All Blacks and Multi camps. But um, personally, uh, TJ, it was it was an awesome night. I think um, the kind of way that we played and the kind of occasion that it was. Um, I watched the podcast last week and heard to heard um, Chipper and um, and Joey talk about it. But uh, for me personally, it was a great experience to be able to get there, win up there. It was a um, yeah, probably one of the most clinical and complete performances we've had in my time there. And um, I guess with all the the marbles on the line, um, it was a great way to go out and. Um, against a pretty exciting Blues team, they had a great season, and um, to be able to get that result up in Auckland um, was pretty satisfying.
1: And as it transpires, uh, your, your last game for the Crusaders for a bit.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, obviously, yourself, TJ, was the first guy to uh, to talk about that. So, um, but yeah, it is. It's my last. It's my last game, and um, like I said, it was a great way to go out. Started my career at, at Eden Park, playing against the Crusaders. Funnily enough, and then come full circle 10 years later to play uh, the Blues in a final. Um, I couldn't have wished for a, a better way to go out yeah. and um, to be able to get the result. Most importantly, uh, TJ, you know, didn't want to play play like a dud or have a have a bad game. And um, just to be able to get the job done um, with all the pressure that was on us and I guess the expectation from us as well individually and as a group and I guess our supporters back home.
1: Yeah. OK, we've given him his moment in the yeah, spotlight
3: yeah, there, Jipper. Yeah. I was going to say, his standards <laughs> have got sloppy now. He's signed in Japan. You would never have missed a bus had you re-signed <laughs> for the next year. There's no way you would have needed anyone yeah. helping you to get there, bus. you're normally there half an hour early.
2: Yeah, I think, yes. Unfortunately, Jeff, I had that one of those moments. Where Sloppy, a mate. Bit of,
3: Sloppy. Uh, yeah, it
2: is. Uh, I couldn't let it go, mate. It was just nah, a great mate. game. In today, it, with, was. Um, like that. it was. It um, was. You played yeah, outstanding,
3: a few,
1: a few too. TV, uh, yeah. A too few mini lemonades. It was a great <laughs> performance. Um, well, Ireland are here. And it's great that it's, you know, they're not just here for one or two test matches. Three test matches, two against the Māori All Blacks. So it feels more like a, a bit of a mini tour, which got to be a good thing.
3: Yeah, it's sort of like, not not obviously to the extent of a Lions tour, but having these midweek fixtures great. is so exciting. Um, also, I'm quite excited. Cause normally you'd probably expect the midweek fixtures to probably come in the second week and the third. But to have this little... You know, a little warm up just to, to set things up for the weekend and, and a 40 man squad there are going to be players that will have to back up for Saturday so um, oh, I think everyone's excited about it I think the players involved both sides are, are really excited about it but as a fan um, you know to, to get footy on a Wednesday is exciting for me but to, to get footy of this calibre on a Wednesday and then on a Saturday is is really exciting.
1: I suppose the big news is that COVID has hit the All Blacks and we've got two or three members of the coaching staff down, including Ian Foster, and initial reports say uh, Jack Goodhue and David Havili out, which is really bad news for two guys who are outstanding towards the end of Super Rugby. But Bryn, you've been in this situation over the last couple of years. How will they be handling this outbreak You know, how will they be managing it in the lead up to the test?
2: Yeah, I think we've been pretty accustomed to these COVID kind of situations for almost two years now. And, you know, for us personally, the Crusaders, we went through that. We went to the Tour of Australia. I think, look, we had to fly guys in that hadn't even played for us. And, um, you know, getting them up to speed with what we uh, were doing and our players and that. But, you know, thankfully for the All Blacks, there's bigger squads. And so... To be honest, I just heard from Brad Moore in his interview oh, not too long ago that it, they'll just continue as usual as continue as, continue as usual, sorry, have been able to get um the week right because um you know rugby doesn't stop. we have got a test match on Saturday and they've got a big enough squad to be able to um to be able to choose for them. Um, to hopefully it just doesn't spread anymore when they're you know, for the fact that we can't afford possibly to have any more midfielders that, that catch it because we've already got two that are gone. But um I can imagine that more so the senior leaders in that group will be driving a lot more even though there are a few coaches that are out, but um, they would have prepared for it. They would have prepared for an outbreak and, um, you know, wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't think that it's um, something they did not prepare for and they would have prepared for it. And so um, it's not great preparation, but, um again, there's a big enough squad there for, for them to be able to, to choose a squad and a, and a formidable squad coming into Saturday for a Test match against Ireland.
1: And interestingly, it, it brings uh, Joe Smith into the mix. Now, he was probably going to be there. Officially, doesn't start until after this, but I'm sure he was going to be there in some capacity. But that just adds a little bit of intrigue
3: to it too, doesn't it? A little bit of tension. creates <laughs> a little bit, a bit more tension. It's something for us to talk about, TJ. Um, but I, I think as well, like Bryn said, they would have planned for it, but I don't think it would fluster players and management anymore because it has been around for a while. I think previously had it um, you know, not been COVID or, and had been a couple of injuries that took players out this close, it could create a lot of disruption and, and anxiety within the group. But because COVID's been around, there's a lot of protocols in place um, in terms of their preparation and players having to be ready to go the day of the game, even if they haven't been trained it's not as a big a deal as it probably would have been previously.
1: Well, we'll talk about the All Blacks soon, guys, but I I want to talk about Ireland because this is a team... Traditionally, we've always enjoyed having the Irish around. We've always enjoyed watching them play. Their fans, of course, are great, but this is a a different story now, Ireland, particularly in the last few years. And I I think one of the things that really strikes you about this Ireland team is the way they have evolved as a team, the way their uh, playing style has evolved. And, you know, that blue... That Joe Smith probably was instrumental in the way they've taken their game on and developed it under Andy Farrell.
3: I think it's their skill set, one to fifteen. You know, like we've we've spoken, we've waxed lyrical about um, both props and and Porter and Furlong and just their ability to have that interplay, um, you know, support lines, rain lines, and it's that consistent discipline to stay within their systems. You know, you look back at that Japanese fixture they played um, at home on the end of your tour or our end of your tour, Japanese end of your tour mate, some of the structures within that and the option taking to create space and put players, is where they've evolved the most I think in terms of their attacking structure and it started under Joe but I do think it's been you know, pushed on and then we know what they bank on is their physicality, whenever they've beaten the All Blacks they have won the battle up front and they have not let them get that game line attacking ball that they need to get their game going so I think those are the two areas that they know that they'll have to deliver if they're going to do something special here in New Zealand.
1: And We've got to give you know, credit in the right places here, Bryn. I mean, they're not great because they have a, a two or three Kiwis in the side. But obviously, as New Zealanders, we're going to be looking at, at Bundy Bundiaki, James Lowe, and in particular, Jamison Gibson Park. And this is quite a story, this, because we saw him as a promising player. But since he's gone to Ireland, I mean, what has impressed you about the way he's grown and developed his game?
2: glad you brought that up TJ because I was just going to jump on the back of um, how Ireland's been so successful because they've had Murray for a very long time who's, who's done great things around you know his game management has a good pass has been able to have his kicking game that was so influential during that Lions series and even through his duration of his career but I think Jamison's taken that Ireland team um, to another level and more so what you're talking about with, with what Jip said when it comes to the collision area and the breakdown because they're so efficient in their breakdown with the ball placement again that ball set really quickly it's just open for the likes of Jamison and been able to speed up that player. And what he does really well is as he snipes. And so he chooses the right times that he snipes. So his first thing is to obviously get the ball out, which you need as a halfback. And you look at the test matches that they've been successful, that ball is on, on a platter and it's out within three seconds. And so when you've got ability for a halfback to do that, it gives the likes of Sexton, Key, and their, their forward players the opportunity to be able to play at the line um, with more time due to the fact that Jamison gets it a lot, a lot quicker. Um, and then I think it's just been an a been of him evolving through his time in Ireland. Um, you know, he went over there, you talked about it, TJ, that, um, you know, he had promised and, you know, there's a lot of hype around Jamo with his ability to be able to play and his time at Gisman Boys and coming through that Blues um, system. But he's taken this game to another level. And I guess that shows the level of where Ireland are in their kind of rugby and their domestic game and how much they've been able to influence and come to a test level because um, he's, he's, he's grown tremendously, not only around his skill set and his passing, but his kicking game as well. Probably wasn't a strength of his when he was in New Zealand, but now for Ireland, when he's been in Ireland, um, his contestable game and his long kicking game um, has made him, I, argued, I think, one of the top three halfbacks in the world.
1: Okay. Well, they've done a lot in recent times, Ireland, including beating the All Blacks three out of the last five times that they've played them. There's a couple of things they have yet to do. Uh, one of them, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a, a hunt for them to get over in future, and that's to get past the quarterfinals of a World Cup. It's almost inexplicable. They haven't done that. They haven't won in New Zealand. So I guess that's that's the big challenge, but you could hardly find a, a tougher place to to start than Eden Park.
3: No, and and I think like Andy Farrell has made it really clear with every sort of media session he's had is this is the start of the World Cup campaign, and it's about building towards that. And and no better, you know, springboard if they can get it right on this, the belief for them to go in into France 2023 will give them the ability to you know probably knock off that hurdle, but like you say, if they can knock off this hurdle, um, winning in New Zealand, and and I think they've got five guys that were here 10 years ago. I think it's Healy, um, Omani, um, Sexton, Murray and Earls. And I think drawing on that experience will be key for this squad. Not giving them the demons, giving them what they did well that Christchurch week, what put them in the race to nearly, you know, without that drop goal, um, win, win here as well. And I think if they can, you know, sort of, have that ability, and we speak about Jamison um, and the growth of his game, and you know, speaking with Eason Athawa, what they have at Leinster and the, the role that um, Sexton plays, I think he's been massive in terms of Jamison's development and, and his all-round game as well. So the, the skipper is going to play a vital role in them getting it right this tour.
2: I think one thing as well, let's not forget about Andy Farrell when he came here for the British and Irish Lions series they're you know, very similar when they came down down under here thinking that you know they wanted to be the world the best test team in the world and so they've got obviously he's got blueprints and thinking that what they think they can do as a team at that time with the British Irish Lions to get that result even though it was a tied series um, they would have probably seen it as a win and then so those kind of learnings of being able to see, yep we've done that in the British Irish Lions Aaron Andy Farrell is a defensive coach now he's in a the head coach but I think you know let's not forget about his time or what he was able to do in New Zealand in 2017, and so been able to have uh, a footprint and understanding what that will look like when they come to New Zealand and play in a similar um, format of three tests for our Series 1.
1: I mean, he, he has been around the block, Andy Farrell. I mean, he was a great rugby league player, successful transition to rugby, and now coaching. As you say, Bryn, stepping up into that role. I saw uh, the media stand-up that he did over at uh, Onewa Domain, and he, to me, looked relaxed. He looked Confident, he looked happy to be here. Looked happy to be facing this challenge, and if all that sort of thing can rub off on his team, Bryn, uh, that that sets us up for a fascinating three weeks, doesn't it?
2: Oh, I think it does, and, and they should feel confident. I think with the level of rugby that they are they are playing, not only against the All Blacks, you know, they've had a, a successful couple of games to get them to be able to get those wins in his time there. But, you know, look at the Six Nations and the kind of um, level that they've been playing there. So they've been playing at a high level throughout the Six Nations and during that Northern Hemisphere tour as well when um, the Southern, when the when when we came up, the All Blacks, South Africa and Australia came up. So why would you not feel confident? Um, and so I think for them it's a great opportunity. I think they'll be thinking in that group, what an opportunity to come down here, test themselves, and they should be confident because uh, they're playing a brand of footy that uh, put us under a lot of pressure. And they would have seen that and thinking for the All Blacks, it's their job to see can they rectify those things that um, they failed against the Irish and the French in that Northern Hemisphere tour. So I'll take a lot of confidence of that. It'll just be interesting to see. Um, I guess the tankers have, have they made tankers in their game um, that were so successful against the All Blacks? Because I can imagine that group would have a massive growth mindset and thinking they're not, you know, they're not a finished product. Yes, they're playing at a very high level, but how do they keep continuing to get better, knowing that the 2023 World Cup isn't this year, but it's next year moving forward.
1: And perhaps just one issue that they face, Jipper. I mean, they have a long season, 39 weeks that they play. Um, for some of them, it's been a few weeks since they had a game. Leinster kind of fell away a little bit towards the end of uh, the United Championship. I mean, do you think there's any worries there for them?
3: Well, I don't think there's worries, but it's not a one-off test. Like, it is a tour, and, and I think they have to be mindful. Whatever happens this Saturday doesn't dictate the rest of the tour. You know, it doesn't put you in a false sense of security if you win, but it also isn't the end of it. If if they can get things right for the following, so I think that's they've just got to target it week by week, um, and that's where their senior players. And you you speak about Andy Farrell's relaxed nature. I, I think it's because you know a lot of successful, hard-nosed, high-standard head coaches are defence coaches, and and the old adage of defence wins championships still runs true, and and it's no different at test match footy. And he clearly believes he's got the the blueprint of, of something that can do the job if he's you know portraying that. And sometimes it's fake it till you make it, and so it does filter through your squad. Yeah. But either way, it's filtering yeah. through the squad.
1: Well, let's take a look at the All Blacks now, guys. Um, three test series against Ireland, and let's not forget that, that that is followed soon after by two test matches in South Africa. So that's actually a pretty tough opening schedule to the international programme. How important for this coaching staff to get a run going, to silence some critics maybe, and start building some momentum towards the World Cup in those opening games.
3: I think it's important in the sense that I spoke about Islanders saying this is their World Cup, you know, their plan towards the World Cup. It's no different for us. I think, you know, the All Blacks should just embrace the challenge. So often we've heard over the years, you know, we walk towards that challenge. We don't hide away. And and I think that's the mindset. If they can take that mindset, win or lose, it keeps them on the target, on course. So, you know, you can't, you know, say they go one and one all in South Africa and maybe lose um, this series at home that doesn't mean World Cups dead and buried so they've just got to make sure that it's it's how you react sometimes and how you prepare mm-hmm. to react if it doesn't go our way
2: there's probably two things that I'm looking forward to this this kind of test series and to see where the All Blacks can make the changes that they didn't, um, that they weren't able to get it right in the Northern Hemisphere. And probably the first one is when we're at our best, it's the ability of Aaron Smith and our halfbacks to play at a high tempo. So the collision area and the breakdown, um, we've talked about a drip a lot. You know, we probably didn't get that right on the Northern Hemisphere tour. So, you know, has there been enough work that's been able for the for the boys to be able to get that right? Because um, if we're able to play where, where we need to, that needs to be done um, consistently at a high um, at a high percentage because you know the likes of Ireland and France, you know, they'll win in that contact area and been able to play on top of a lower the likes of DuPont, Jamison Gibson Park, Sexton and their kind of face play shape that Ireland uh, play really well well against us. So um, that's the first thing that I'm really excited to see if we can get that right. And then the kicking game. I'm talking more so of the being able to attack off kicking games. I think South Africa and the the you know the Irish and the French when they they want to, they can play that box kick and contestable game. And so it's how are we going to be able to attack and be able to get ourselves in a position to then be able to ask questions of the defense because, you know, Ireland, France, all the, the South Africans, um, they've got a really good defensive setup with bringing light speed pressure, which we've heard a lot over the last four or five years. How can the All Blacks get better at being able to attack against um, defensive defensive pressure? So those are the two areas that I'm looking forward to seeing if the All Blacks have made any changes or they've been able to try and, um, I guess, ask questions of these teams because, and then Northern Hemisphere, that's probably two areas that I thought we didn't get right. And I'd like to think there'd be improvements um, coming this Test Series and then running forward to the Rugby Championship this year. So much talk about the selections and
1: two or three key areas of the game. I mean, obviously, uh, back three very well off for talent. That midfield, though, losing Havili and Goodhue, you'd, you'd think that at least one of them was going to be in the starting 15th. Now they're both gone. Uh, you know, that's... a. You know, that's something they're going to have to come around. Does this bring Roger Tuivasa-Sheck into the picture at all? How do you think they'll go there?
3: Well, I, I think they've probably got to look at the opposition and, and who's going to make the biggest impact. Um, you know, not only um, I suppose attacking-wise, but defensively against Bundy and Co. And um, <clears throat> it makes the decision a little bit harder because they probably would have gone with Davy. Um, you know, after his performance in the final, he almost stormed them. You know, forced his way into that um, twelve jersey because he was so dominant. Um, so yeah I think it does bring him into the frame but it doesn't necessarily mean he starts you know Quintipaya had a really um, solid year statistically of getting over the game line and being that you know setting the phase, setting the platform past the game line so that you can bring guys like Aaron Smith Bone and Barrett, Richie Moanga into the game flat and fast, and we can get our game going so it's not a straight yeah. yes Rogers starting I don't think, they may go for someone that's been in the environment, take the pressure off put him on the bench and and inject him into the game late against Tyrone Bodies where he could be a real threat?
2: Yeah, I think I've gone with the fact with Jack and Davey not being there. I had Davey starting at 12 and then Rico uh, fitting into centre. But I think maybe seeing what we saw against the Crusaders with Rog, um, I think him coming off the bench in 23 with the fact that I think we probably need a midfielder um, to cover that 23 role. Um, Having him come off the bench and like you said, being able to influence the game at the back end of the game. And there's no rush, I feel. With Rog, especially in these first three or four test matches, I mean, he's in the environment. He'll be able to learn, um, especially as that pivotal role with that twelve, which is really important. Um, and, you can, and you have a guy like Quinn, um, who's played really well, had a great, um, you know, like his introduction to All Black rugby last year, and played a couple of test matches. You know, that being that French last game, so he'll be gaining a lot of experience through that, and then coming through the Super Rugby this year and being able to get that gain line, which I guess we've been wanting from a twelve, and Quinn does that uh, tremendously. So. I'd go coin at 12 and have, have probably Rodge in that 23 role coming on for the fact that I think we're probably going to need a midfielder in that 23 role with, um, with Davey and Jack going, um, not being able to play the first Test match.
1: What about the loose trio? Because there's so much talk about it. We've got three outstanding number 7s, Savi Apapali'i and, of course, Sam Kane, who's the captain. Um, and plus, you know, other elements that you need from your loose trio. There's been talk of, of maybe all three of those guys starting, or
3: do we need that big man, a big hard ball carrier, in in that mix? I think there's a couple of elements to consider, and I think if we use the final because it's the recent display of set piece dominance that you know basically won a won a big game, high pressure game, and where you know we maybe need to look at as good lineout options as well in that loose forward trio. It can't potentially be all sevens because then you're relying heavily on you know Whitelock and Retallick or Barrett whoever they go with as the two but then it makes pretty easy reading for Ireland to marry up as we saw with a Sam Whitelock um, doing that damage so I, I think you know the source needs to be a consideration and you know we talk about the breakdown and winning the breakdown on both sides of the ball what's going to enable us to do that do, are these if we went for the three seven are they going to get us over the game line like a Pitagas or an Akita? Yohani can, with ball in hand, and, and have proven to do so. Um, you know, obviously Pilkings at a level below, but I, you know, I think we all know that he's physically ready for Test match footy. So there are a number of considerations to go into that because if we don't get our set piece right, we can't get anyone else going. You know, like so, our, our ability to win our own ball but set a strong platform scrum time will be crucial in, in this, and it doesn't necessarily mean three X factor um, explosive players. You've got to get that marriage right.
2: Um, just on that job, sorry sorry, TJ. Yeah, no go for your just life. on that. just on that um, around that Jip, would you think of having Scott Barrett possibly at six? Um,
3: could potentially consider it with a roll I, I don't know. I, I think yeah, we' just lay, we're adding another confusion to it. They've picked Lucy's. I, I really think this year we've got to get really clear on we've picked specialists. We've got, to, we've got to be able to um, give a guy one job and go nail it. Don't be you know, across two or three jobs and then you don't quite get it right in another job. I, I just think that clarity, you know what it's like in preparation, that clarity of focus. Yes, you have to have the ability and a lens to another role that you potentially may play, but you've got to do your first job first, and, that, and I think that'll be crucial.
1: I think you used the word, uh, you alluded to clarity there, and I think that's what everyone's looking for they? You know, this 14 months out from the World Cup, they're looking for a clear picture here of the kind of game. The All Blacks are looking to play uh, some, I, I guess, some clarity over, you know, how certain players are used and what positions. And, and, and I think that's something that they'd be pretty keen to answer, wouldn't they? I, isn't that now the time where we want to start seeing that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it is. And cohesion's a, a, word, a word that's been used a lot on this podcast. But I think it's pretty important. I think you said maybe there's like 17 or 18 tests this year before we start the Rugby World Cup, so there's not a lot of time. And so, being able to give guys opportunities, I think you know there are going to be guys that are given opportunities. It's just being able to see if they can take take them straight away because you don't you might not know when you're going to get another opportunity, especially in these big test matches where you need to be able to get the bulk of your squad that you're thinking are going to be pivotal players in that uh, Rugby World Cup. So um, yeah, I think consistency. I think we're going to see it a lot this year. Probably look at last year, we had a bigger squad, COVID, COVID, we're away from home and so there's a little bit of being able to get give guys opportunities, um, a little bit of time out from the World Cup. But I think this year, we're going to see a lot more um, consistent selections and in, in pivotal positions so they can start getting a run um, to the 2023 World Cup.
1: But like Discipline. Uh, you know, there's been so much talk about yellow cards, red cards. We go into a situation we've got a couple of Northern Hemisphere referees and uh, Carl Dixon, Wayne Barnes taking control of the first two and I think Yako Paper comes in to do the third test in Dunedin. Uh, that, I guess that's, a, that's another thing too. Um, <clears throat> penalties really cost them in, in that game in Dublin last year, for example.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But three very experienced refs and if you're going to have... You know, three senior refs. You know, these guys are as good as it gets. So, and the one thing I like about all three of these refs is their ability to communicate their decision in the game. I don't know about mm. you, Bro, but when a ref just gives you the clear facts and the evidence, and they almost, you know, rattle through why they've got to the decision, it it makes it really clear as a viewer to understand, but also for a player to understand. But I think we all know you've got to get your tackle height low. And there will be mitigating factors and stuff, but first things first. The focus has to be on a low tackle height, and that will alleviate ninety percent of the issues. And you won't bring the ref into it. I think, you know, so often you hear from you know coaches, you know, throughout my years of playing, is don't bring them into it. You nail mm-hmm. your stuff. You nail your job, and it, you'll give yourself the best ability to to not get a yellow, red, or a penalty. So I, I think I don't think it should be a a nerve-wracking factor because these are highly skilled athletes, Mm. um, the best in the world going at it and and should probably have the ability to adjust the best.
1: What I think is really great Mm. about what we've got coming up, though, and it's not just here in in New Zealand, but, but in particular here, is that this has developed into a great rivalry, New Zealand and Ireland. And I was talking to one of my friends from the Irish media earlier on today and he was listening to our commentary of the game last year and our reference to this great rivalry he said i never thought i would hear a new zealander say that uh, that's exciting uh, we've already seen eden park packed uh, for uh, the super rugby final Sell out crowd i mean it, it is an exciting start to the international season isn't it
2: oh it is and i think you know the best thing about a rivalry is you've got to win both sides and so you know you probably think the last five six years ireland have been our bogey team because, you know, they've had such such success against us. But I think the best thing for us is that we've got them at home and you know how formidable it is at home to be able for us as All Blacks to play um, in our own country. And knowing as well, I think that All Black group will be pretty motivated and driven considering, you know, there's probably a lot of messages around the world and fair enough with how Ireland and how successful they've been that, um, you know, they can come down here and win a series. You know, TJ, I don't know, you, put, you think about a decade ago, um, you're not thinking that Ireland are going to come down and really contest for a series if it's three three test matches. So I guess that's the improvement, I guess, where Ireland rugby is at the moment. It's fantastic for, for Ireland and for us as um, as Kiwis, knowing that you know this kind of June series, June and July, um, it's going to be a great test match, knowing um, what Ireland have done against us and I guess the brand of rugby that they're playing. Um, you know, we've said time and time again how exciting it is to watch an Ireland team. And I'm really hoping that, um, you know, I know it's at the back end of their season, but I think any of those boys coming down here to have an opportunity to win a test series um in New Zealand. Not many, not many teams from that from afar have done that. I think the last team to probably do it would have been Ireland in 2000. Oh, sorry, um England in two thousand and three. It might have been TJ, the last time a Northern Hemisphere team came down here and won a series.
1: Uh that was a yeah, it was a one off test in Wellington, wasn't yeah, it? I, I think you so. have to go back really. You have to go back um I think the Springboks did it, uh, but not a Northern Hemisphere team since probably France in 1994. Oh, so, yeah. and, and that was the last time the All Blacks lost at Eden Park. Eden what Park. is it about Eden Park? Uh, you get the feeling that um, someone uh, in the boardroom thought, righto, uh, this is going to be a tough series. Let's start off at Eden Park.
3: <laughs> probably. But I, I, the one thing I do want to emphasise is we're talking a hell of a lot about Ireland and they're worthy of that chat. Don't get me wrong, but just think about what's happening in that All Black camp. You know, they're hearing a lot of challenge, you know, a little bit of an underdog status, if we're honest. And, you know, they'll be looking to the pack to set the tone and and rectify what what didn't go right last year. And that excites me the most, is is the thought of an all black pack with a chip on its shoulder, a dogged approach all week, a few things not going to plan with COVID, to come out of Eden Park with that on the line, knowing that they have to set a platform. They have to win the collision areas to win this Test match. I mean, it is just going to be an absolute doozy um, in terms of all those sort of traditional aspects of our game.
1: Okay. well, look, we're going to talk more about the uh, Māori All Black games against Ireland. We're going to talk about the series elsewhere in the world. And in a moment, we're going to meet our dream team winner. But just before we move on from the Test series, guys, just sum up what you think you would like to see most from the All Blacks. What is the key to them getting ahead in the series against
2: uh, the Irish team at Eden Park this weekend? Well, I think I alluded to it earlier, TJ, um, the collisionary and breakdown. Um, you know, when we're at our best, you know, it's Aaron Smith and, you know, Finlay, Christopher Falau, if they've been able to play on top of on top of teams. And so if we can get that right, we'll probably see pictures of that, you know, the All Black team that we're used to seeing uh, with the likes of Richard Wong and Bowden Barrett, whoever's sitting there, we haven't even talked about that, who's going to be starting at 10. Um, but, you know, getting those guys to be able to play in front and being able to make... Um, we the opposition to make decisions defensively um, because we're playing really quick ball.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: I've been able to play on the front foot. So, Jip set the, ch- uh, the tone and the challenge there, I guess for that all black pack, and knowing that if they can get that right, Gives us the best opportunity to um to play um, some good rugby and get a result uh, this this series
1: hey mate i'm quite happy to talk about number 10 if you want i mean uh, okay put yourself who are you going to go for you going to go for your uh, crusaders teammate or of are you going to go for, is. hey
2: oh it's 50 50 i don't know how many times we've talked about it on this off um, the fence podcast. please but me I oh, look i think you've got to be able to account for a final and look if you're going at that final between the Crusaders and, and the Blues, um, that Richie outplayed outplayed Bodie So, uh, but different circumstances. We had, a, we had a, you know the Ford pick obviously um, got on the front foot and he was be able to play his, his game on top of teams. But um, look, no different from Bodie. when he gets that ball, um, flat and hard, and you know, dominant, and the Fords are getting good good ball for him. He can do the same. But um, that final's got to mean something, doesn't it? You know that's why you play those kind of games. It's a it's a trial. It's, um theoretically and um that's why i'd pick richie based on it on that on that play on under that game a fortnight ago
3: it's it's a fair it's a fair account of how you'd select it you know like the final you're looking for players that can step up in the big game but one thing i will say and i harp on about it a lot is when it all goes well the 10 gets the praise but it's actually the platform that's set up front Bode didn't get that platform so you know, yes, they do, the gloss gets taken off and they get put under the blowtorch a little bit more but I, I don't think you can rip away Bodie's whole season because of one performance because they couldn't win their set-piece ball. It wasn't a poor performance he just didn't get the opportunity to play. Right. And, and again, your key
1: uh, factors that, that the All Blacks need to, to, to get right if they're going to go ahead in the series?
3: I, I think it's just simplicity like let's just go direct let's be direct early and then let the fancy stuff come late in the game. I think that's when we're always at our best. People are really clear in their role, specialist um, mindset. And if we can just keep it simple, um, which is, you know, it's an old adage, but if we do stick with that and we win the collision era like Bryn talks about, the other stuff will happen naturally because we've got the players, we've got the skill set to do it, but we've just got to take it to them 1st They We've just got to go straight at them, at their biggest weapon, which is their pack.
1: Well, as you're well aware, we've been running a dream team competition on Aotearoa Rugby Pod where the fans vote for the players of the round. It all gets compiled into a dream team at the end of the competition. And we select a winner, the person who has got their team closest to the ultimate dream team as voted for by the fans throughout the course of Super Rugby Pacific. And I'm delighted to say that we have the winner with us, Jeff Burke from Hawke's Bay. Jeff, congratulations. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, tell us your strategy. I mean, did you pick the players that you thought were the best or did you pick a team along the lines of, I think these are the guys everyone's going to vote for?
4: <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't try and second guess everyone else. That'd be a sort of even bigger disaster. Um, but I I tried to, to look and see what, what I thought was happening in the game. So not necessarily who was called in commentary, but... You know, all that sort of stuff that makes, makes a, a success in a rugby game. So hitting rucks, clearing rucks, making tackles and, and those kinds of things. So the, perhaps the less obvious things than the, the, you know, the spectacular run or obviously if, a, if it's a winger doing that. But yeah, just those kinds of things i tried to sort of pay attention to because um, I'm, I'm a bit of a rugby tragic. And uh, so it's, it's a kind of level of detail I'll, I'll watch and, en- and enjoy.
3: Interested to know, obviously, a lot of chat around discipline Throughout Super Rugby, did that factor in to to your selection? If if there, if there was a player getting a lot of cards or a lot of penalties, did you did you factor that in when selecting your team?
4: Yeah, I, I definitely um, paid attention to that, um, James, because that had such a, an impact on a team, and and you would tend to see the same guys were getting were getting cards. So I, I thought, therefore that. You know that took away from from their impact on a on a game in a positive way. So, yeah, I paid attention to to that. That would influence
2: my my decision making for sure. If you had to choose, um, obviously with Super Rugby Pacific, if there were three standouts that um you found um, throughout the whole season, who were the three best players you had in the uh, Super Rugby Pacific? Ooh, yeah. Okay, that's.
3: Bryn, <laughs> that's Bryn, Bryn's good that's for good a pitch. classic it's question really challenging without notice. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah yeah thanks um okay so th- this one probably seems thing? a little bit obvious yeah yeah but I, look it's a bit a bit obvious but i thought will jordan because of the the positions he gets himself into his reading of the game and i and clearly within the crusaders he's got a license to move because you would see him come up in the line and not necessarily get the ball but he would stay up in the line whereas you would think a fullback would drop back straight away but obviously within your framework there's a process where someone knows they need to drop back because Jordan's up on the line. But I, I thought his reading of the game was, was really outstanding and his timing. So um, I'd go for him. And then Blue uh, Swords, I thought Dalton for the Blues was, again, you know, great leadership, um, made real impact. Uh, so he stood out. And then actually some of those uh, young tight forwards coming through. So they may not have stood out as the best players, but I've, I've been feeling that we've been lacking in New Zealand and a little bit in the tight forwards and, and young guys coming through, so thinking particularly locks and the props. And I thought some of the some of the young locks and, and props really sort of stood up this season and I thought it was really encouraging because there's some guys clearly coming through there who have got a lot of
1: potential I'm just making a few notes here just in case I'm on the judging for well the... Hold again. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, of course, well Jeff, done, you're, Jeff, you're from well Hawke's Bay, but uh, these guys are delighted to find out that originally you're a harbour man.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, Born and bred, went to school north of Hubbard Bridge um, and, and still support Harbour. I mean, I support Hawke's Bay as well. So um, it's difficult when those two are playing. But, yeah, I love it. It's a great part of the world. But, um,
1: yeah. Sounds like you, you think the game through, uh, Jeff. Just, just give us your selection then for the first test. Uh, you know, bearing in mind that uh, Goodhue, Havili are out uh, with the COVID. Um, just quickly run through your, your starting 15 then.
4: Yeah, so the the Goodhue one complicates it um, because I'd have had him in there. Um, I'd just you know, I think he's a very very capable, organised player. Doesn't make a lot of errors, makes tackles. So um, just to whip through the team, um, I think you start Smith, Fakatava on the bench, um, Bowden at first five. Um, I, I think probably try RTS. I, I would have put Goodhue at second five and, and Rico at centre. Um, but I think if you've got that blues combination, you've got, you know, ten, twelve, thirteen, that, that sort of makes for good good uh, understanding between those guys. Uh Caleb Clark, is he back from his hamstring? Um I have yeah. him on the left yeah. wing if he is. Um Will Jordan on uh, right wing, Geordie at fullback, um and then up front um Offer uh, Um at uh, hooker and um loose head who got loose head um actually I'd, I'd be i'd be tempted to to start uh someone like aiden ross give him a go you know sort of he's he's in there because he's performed so give him a crack um white lock and retellic and then um Ardi at eight Dol- uh sorry sam kane at seven and uh, kira at six so pretty pretty traditional but i guess it's the first test you want to go with guys who've got experience, some familiarity with each other, such as that back row. I don't think you want to... I mean, I, I put in sort of a, a prop alternative, but I just think that's performance-based uh, and you've got to get some exposure to these guys. Uh, and so that's, that's the way I'd sort of a, approach it, I guess.
3: Pretty good team.
4: Yeah.
1: Mate, I like the way you think. You're obviously a real student of the game and you had to be to get that dream team right. Uh, so congratulations on that, Jeff, and, and
4: thanks very Thank much you. for joining us. Cheers, thanks guys. Look, really enjoy the show. I um, think you guys do a really great, great job. Um, James, I think your analysis is, is uh, brilliant. Really enjoy that. And um, I just wanted to say, Brent, I thought the quality of your passing this year has been tremendous and it hasn't really been called by anyone. So I just wanted to, to shout out, I thought, you know, some of, some of your um, passing has been like, you know, Smith hitting Geordie in that French test. Just margin for error has been minimal when you've executed. And anyway, I just wanted to sort of say that. Sort of live, mate, because I, I you know, I haven't heard anyone else sort
3: of saying it. So yeah, well done. But thanks, guys. It's a great
1: show.
4: Really enjoyed. Cheers, Jeff.
1: Thank well, you, mate. Well done, Jeff. All yeah. the best. Okay, that's uh, Jeff Burke. Cheers, thanks, guys. From uh, Hawkes Bay, who's the winner of our Dream Team competition from Super Rugby Pacific? Well, let's uh, move on now to another subject that's very close to your heart, Bryn, the Maori All Blacks. You played for them, what, I think, mm-hmm. eight times now, and it, it's brilliant. We get, as James said before, we're going to start the tour off with a match between uh, Ireland and the Māori All Blacks. What does it mean to have them involved in the tour to this degree? Two games, almost like a mini-series.
2: Oh, mate, it's it's really important for Māori rugby. I think for us, for, for you know, since my time that we've been there, since the British and Irish Lions, and this is no disrespect to our Pacific brothers, we love playing against the Fiji and the Samoans. One Pacifica was a great um, Test match to be able to play in those kind of circumstances. But you know, but for a long time we've been wanting to play against Tier One nations, and um, there's no better introduction to that than playing probably, arguably, uh, one of the form teams in in world rugby when it comes to international level. So I can imagine Clayton, Rog, and um, those senior leaders—they'll um, be that excited to be able to have an opportunity to go to be able, to first and foremost, express our brand. Which is a moldy brand of being able to play with ball in the air and being able to have that kind of x factor um and then being able to have two test matches i think is really important as well um, sometimes you can just have that one off but for the fact that they get a double shot at it um it's going to be a great great spectacle for those boys in there and for maori rugby and i think also i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing a couple of individuals you know you, you've obviously got co-captains between perinata and uh, brad weber who i think are going to be invaluable for a lot of those young boys and understanding what it is in big test matches and what it's going to look like especially um, having those performances against Ireland in the past. And then, you know, I think a guy like Cullen Grace, um, you know, arguably could have been in their all-black squad, um, but he gets the opportunity to be able to go at number eight. So I'm really looking forward to see how he goes. And then and even the new caps, you know, you've talked about Ollie Norris, who I think um, has played great for the Chiefs this year and gets an opportunity to be able to test himself uh, at the all-black level. And then a guy that's probably not a lot of New Zealand players, and um, New Zealand fans, no, sorry, a guy like Cameron Silphour, from um, North Harbour um, gets an opportunity to start a test match um for the for the for the Moldy. So um TJ really looking forward to it and gonna be down on the sideline, I've uh, being able to get the atmosphere and what it's gonna feel like. Um and being able to see hopefully the Maldi um, have a really good um, two test matches and really test um, this Irish team knowing that probably um they're gonna have uh, probably not their first stringers and the other forty men forty players that are all involved there. Um, guys are gonna be given opportunities to try and Get their way into that three match test, three match test series so uh, really looking forward to seeing how that uh, series plays out as well.
1: It's an enviable record I mean it's a record that a lot of Tier one nations would love to have their strike rate against uh, international opposition is quite phenomenal. They've played Ireland twice have beaten them on both occasions once there once here but as Brent alluded to there's a few players in that team apart from the pride of playing for the Maori All Blacks, also got a little bit of a point to prove uh, after after missing out on the All Black squad.
3: Yeah, well, it, well, I suppose the two nines are the easy ones to pick up on, but I also think Joshuaani like he had some great performances for the Chiefs, um, but you know did slip behind Bryn towards you know the latter part of that season. But I'm really excited for him to to get back to this level and, and maybe make a little bit of a statement and, and where he wants to take his career move forward because you know he was outstanding when he got selected to make his all-black debut and injuries and um so forth have sort of slowed that progression so I think a tour like this off the back of the Ford pack that Bryn's alluded to you know being able to provide that platform and two experienced nines like that is you know and he's got that combination with Brad but also having someone like TJ come on and we just know how competitive and how he will not accept anything below perfection um, from himself, first and foremost, but others around him will be great for someone like Josh.
1: Bryn mentioned uh, Cullen Grace. I mean, he's a guy I would have had in my all-black team if I'd been picking it. Um, But this is a a special team in in its own right. I mean, never mind the context in terms of relationship to the all-blacks. And I imagine, Bryn, the experience of building up to a match with the Māori all-blacks is quite unique.
2: Oh, it is. It is, mate. It's um it's special and I know, especially being in Hamilton. Um, you get you definitely get that moldy kind of cold kind of feel when you're in, in camp and um I know, you know, for the likes of Kelly, who um is really gonna enjoy that moldy um I guess journey because, you know, probably doesn't know a lot about himself, but I know talking to him before he went, um, he was really interested and really wanted to be able to immerse himself into that culture and, and learn a little bit more about his Maldi heritage is because, um, you know, Luke Crawford in, in the Moldies, you know, does a really good job around you know telling Moldy stories and being able to, I guess, connect for what that mindset's going to be for the next two weeks and kind of, a, I guess, an identity of what that will look like for the two weeks. And um, it's always great to be able to connect with that because um, you just feel a sense of belonging and, um, I guess, a, a real deep care for your, your Moldy ancestry. And um, that's what you do with that team And um, when you're selected. Um, you know, rugby is important. But I guess um, being mouldy and being able to, um, I guess do that on the big stage, um, in front of a worldwide audience, um, is really important. So again, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing a lot of those men uh, put on the mouldy jersey for the first time. But um, I think the experience of having TJ um, and being able to have Brad, um, it's going to be massive for that group. And knowing what um, the Irish are going to be bringing for those two test matches.
1: What about elsewhere? Uh, look across the Tasman. You don't have to look very far to something that's extremely mouth watering. England. Against Australia, and of course the first two words that come to mind when you look ahead to the series are Eddie and Jones. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating subplot. That is.
3: Well, you know he's going to poke a few bears isn't he, um, in the lead-up, and probably look to take the pressure off a side that comes off a loss against the Barbarians that they probably wouldn't have been expecting, certainly not to the level. And you know, for mm. the most part of that game, they played against the Barbarian side with 14 men. So um, I think, and and it wasn't a weakened side either. You know, these were experienced internationals um, and a lot of frontline players that were playing for England in in this game. And yes, I know it's a a festival fixture, but you never go out on that field uh, planning to lose and and lose to that amount. Um, So it's a double-edged sword for them. You know, it might light a fire and you know just make them sharpen their focus a little bit in their preparation, but also it'll let the Wallabies know that um, you know, probably they were coming down as favourites, uh, but I think that's mm. that's been evened up after that result last weekend.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think of even Eddie Jones talked about um this press match interview, was saying you know we're we're really happy with a few things we wanted to try and do for this test match against the um, the Barbarians. So he'll be able to word things really well, like Eddie does. Um, he's got a great way to be able to um, take the pressure off his team and knowing that when he's coming to Australia, there'll be a a lot of media requests for Eddie and he will take the pressure off that group to be able to, um, you know, get prepared, ready for, for a test series. That you know, thinking, um, you know, before that Barbarians result, we're thinking that you know, England would be the favourites in going there. But I'm really interested to see how this Australian team goes as well. Um, look, I think they made a lot of improvements in the back end of that rugby championship that we talked around um, the play of how they were able to uh, make better decisions without the ball and not playing too much, and so. I'm hoping to see a continuation of seeing how they can play there. And I think, I look at their squad, it looks pretty settled, Jip. You know, I think um, with the improvements that they made at the Northern Hemisphere and the back end of the rugby championship, um, they'll be quietly confident in knowing that David Rennie's had another year to be able to instill what he wants into that group. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Australia end up winning that series. But um, it would be interesting to see what you think around oh. that, Jip, because I've been pretty impressed with Australia and they're got kind of, a, a pretty good squad that I think they've um, made massive leaps in balance in the last 12 months.
3: Yeah, look, I certainly um, wouldn't be surprised if they won it. Um, absolutely not. Mm. And you say there is a settled team and a team that's used to the style and, and the demands of, of Dave Rennie. The only concern I'd have off the back of last year is they did play so well. You know, I think Quaid led them to five mm. test match wins in that rugby championship. He departed the side and so did Samu Karevi and they... They almost fell off the rails a little bit on the end of your tour. And, and the only reason I bring that up is it's not, I know those players are back and that's great and they'll put the um, people around them. But you don't want to be so reliant. You know, creating that depth and being so reliant on two individuals is the only yeah. probably concern. And, and, and there will be some demons that those two, and it might, not, it might have happened even if they did go on because it was a hard end of your tour. But the perception is those two individuals removed the other players and step up and allow them to continue on that momentum and that belief they instilled mm. in everyone else, not only themselves, that they were back. Mm. Um, so I think that'll be interesting with what selection they go with. Obviously, Karevi picks himself, but do they stick with Quade, or is it a James O'Connor coming back from injury and you know he didn't have much game time last year, or is it um, the young young fellow? I think it'll be O'Connor or, or Quade. Um, and, and you know, if I if you you're going on performance and and. What's has been shown at that level, you know, Quade's probably got the inside running.
1: I suppose the downside is that they've lost tupo and they lose a lot with him not playing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, throughout this whole podcast, we've talked about winning collisions, getting across the game line, you know, being dominant in defence is, is sort of key areas for success. And he's a guy that can do it flat footed, which a lot of people can't do. Like they need to get their timing right, running onto the ball, but he's got great feet, he gets low to the ground and he's got that ability to keep his legs underneath him. That he's always, you know, obviously in control of the tackle or in control of his carry. So I think um, you know, he'll be he'll be a big loss in terms of that attacking sense, but I think they've got enough backup in terms of still being able to have that dominance at set piece that they'll they'll be looking for.
1: I have to say I'm I'm looking forward to that series. Almost as much as the All Blacks against Ireland. Not quite, but it'll be good. What about the Springboks against Wales? I mean, the the box, powerful, defending uh, World Cup holders. Mm -hmm. Wales, perhaps, you know, signs that things aren't all that well in in
2: Wales at the moment. Yeah, I think, look, the South Africans probably, um, if I'm just from afar thinking just with how Wales went in that Northern Hemisphere and the kind of the Six Nations and kind of where they are at the moment, I'd be expecting a 3-0 kind of series one for the spring box and look that's no disrespect to Wales and look they could have a, um, a fire burning in them around if they're going to be the underdogs and I don't know Wayne, Wayne Pivik and how he is as a person who will be able to word things right to be able to hopefully instill a bit of belief into that squad but look I th- just think with our the South Africans and how well they've gone in that Northern Hemisphere um, rugby as well um, with their domestic sides I think you know having those guys play at that kind of level and understanding uh, against the Northern Hemisphere teams and being able to play that kind of rugby week in and week out, um, it's going to set them up uh, pretty well because, you know, usually when you're in New Zealand, uh, a Southern Hemisphere team and you're going up to the Northern Hemisphere, you don't really play them in that kind of style. But, look, their domestic sides have been pretty used to that the whole year and um, have had a lot of success. So, look, I expect a, um, it's a pretty strong, formidable South African team and I think they'll be wanting to be able to build their second year, being able to... Play many full test match, obviously having a long time with COVID and not playing, but probably going to see a little bit more of a better side um, from where we did last year. And they'll continue to keep getting better. And I'm expecting to probably see a, um, a 3-0 whitewash of, um, for that series.
1: I'm just interested to see how the South Africans play it. Do they continue in the same vein? They don't care what anyone thinks about the way they play. Do they keep going that way because it works for them?
3: Oh, absolutely I think they will um, there will be some evolution there's a bit of young talent coming through that's got a bit of X factor about them um, you know through through the stormers and sharks so the, the biggest thing that you know people focus on is they're picking players all over the globe but I think they've proven they've they've got they've got that right somehow you know before the Lions it was sort of talk about you know they don't have that added bonus of having that group they, they are coming from multiple parts of the world but I think they're so used to it, they they all hit the ground running. Um, and, and I think it's best in that situation to go to what you know, go to the the style of play that works for you. But like any good team, you know there has to be some evolution of your game, otherwise it'll eventually get shut down um, at international rugby. So there has to be aspects of that. Because France...
2: Uh, sorry, so, mate, yeah. Sorry, TJ, just to go on with the, the South Africans. I think probably two things that I saw that... Um, in that kind of rugby championship, look, we know that their their kicking game and the aerial game is you know where they put teams under a lot of pressure. But probably two areas where I thought they could, could improve when they did get to that twenty two or attacking zone against New Zealand, they ended up playing a lot and they were able to um, ask questions and they weren't kicking the ball a lot. So I think when they kind of get down there our attack into, I don't think they're going to shy away from that kicking game and being able to box kick off after clue. Pollard have been able to play um, not as much rugby in their um, in their defensive half, not when they're um, in the attacking zone, but I think when they get there, I think it's been able to see the face play shape and been able to square defenders up because I think, um, I guess early in the series, um, in the rugby championship um, there were opportunities when they were, there was five on fours or four on threes and been able to get, fix people to the edge and remember us talking about it, if they can be able to get that square hands and be able to fix people on the edge um, then I think that that marrying up of the balance of being able to um, kick the ball away and being able to defensively put teams under pressure. But when they do get into that attacking zone, just being able to attack a little bit more better in the execution. We talk around Ireland and being able to see their face play shape and how much questions they do ask. But I think for the South Africans, it's really simple around square hands, being able to fix people and put your your likes of your Mob Pepe and your Colby and being able to put those guys away and giving them opportunities one-on-one or even with space in front of them to be able to try and score tries. And Get over the advantage line that way as well
3: but i think the biggest adjustment they made in the test they won against the all blacks in the rugby championship is their forwards went to that simple mindset of just getting around the corner and carrying direct which actually committed defenses in which enabled it easier for them to get that you know fixing players and, and work that ball to the edge and, and it's their biggest weapon mm. and and when they go to it in the 22 and they roll up their sleeves those big boys they they have to you have to put two two sometimes three onto them You know, Marks and co. will drag you over the line if you don't. So that simple mindset of just getting around the corner in 22 for their big boys is so key to enabling them to expose them on the edge.
1: Yeah, simple but oh so effective. France, uh, they're going to be in Japan, uh, which I'm sure they'll enjoy. France just looks so good. And and the other series that we're looking forward to, the Pacific Nations Cup. Mm. And, I mean, for example, the Tongan team. The strength that suddenly they have in that squad, and we've got to think about there's a World Cup qualifying spot, Uh, this is something to look forward to as well. Uh, Tonga, a team worth watching?
2: Oh, they are. And I think it's so great to see. We probably saw scenes last year when the Tongans were playing against the All Blacks, and it was was unfortunate for the kind of level of depth they had at that time, not being able to have um, the likes of the Northern Hemisphere players or being able to choose just do the eligibility rules that weren't there at the time. But um, it's so great for Tongan rugby um, and not even the Tongans as well, but the Samoans, the Fijians. you know, having the guys of like, you know, we've talked around, um, Seto money Valu, you know, how much he's going to be able to add to Fiji. The Samoan players, the likes of Jordan Taufour, being able to come back into that environment. And the Tongan team, Malakai Fikitoa has been there, went through that sevens, kind of um, being able to play back for Tonga, do to that kind of campaign. But um, it's great for Pacific Islander rugby because I think for a long time we've been kind of harping on and say we'd love to see these guys who can still play international rugby, but they've just played for New Zealand or other countries around the world um, earlier in their career. And so for them to be able to play for their for their second nation or their home nation, um, it's only going to add to be able to um, strengthen those Pacific Islander nations and be able to have them come to the 2023 World Cup um, and moving forward to play meaningful test matches and be competitive, which I think what we've wanted to see, TJ and Jip, them being be able to be competitive and have players that can play for them and be able to influence them uh, at the international level.
3: I think it's going to be hard to pick like I was looking at the two games obviously like Fiji Tonga you can't expect it all to just turn around overnight you know mm-hmm. these players are awesome individuals but you've got to build a programme around them that works for everyone involved um, you know for the factors that we spoke about earlier and then with the Fiji obviously with the Fiji and are spending a lot of time together there, there is a bulk of players that are used to each other they have spent a lot of time with some additions like to Manivalu so You'd have to say Fiji probably go on as favourites. I know there are a lot of big names in that Tongan side, but it, it's not going to be fixed overnight. So um, I'm really interested in watching that one. Um, and then the Aussie A and, and the Samoa game. I think Australia A, again, um, for that sort of ability of played with each other, they know each other, they've got a lot of um, experience at that higher level. Um, may be too good for, for Samoa as well.
1: But it's a brilliant development. Oh. I mean, you, you just look through the names yeah. and you mentioned um, some of them, you know, Philal, Fekito, Toa, uh, Jordan Taupho, you know, coming into the mix. Uh, look, it, it, it makes for what's going to be, I think, some, some sensational rugby over the next few weeks.
3: Oh, and great for the pathway and development for a lot of guys that haven't had the experience of these players and, and the heights they've, they've reached. To be able to pass that on at this level then they'll be able to, you know, like it does create a, a flow-through of that pathway, which is exciting for for the strength of world rugby because we know that when it's all tight, when competitions are a lot tighter and you don't know who's going to win or lose, it creates interest, which brings people, you know, bums on seats, which makes the whole system work. So it's great for the world game.
1: Well, so much to look forward to over the next two or three weeks, guys. I look forward to seeing you break it all down thanks for having me uh, yeah. mate it's a pleasure hey, um before Note. we go mate um any chance you might turn i see the mighty coat north coat fourth on the table some team called takapuna I've, I've heard of them vaguely before um any chance you might turn out for the coat before you head off
2: oh i actually got a text message from my coach actually um if, we were, if i was able to come back and play but uh, I'm not too sure yet. I think I might get back home, actually. I'm still in Christchurch, but I've got to get back home and obviously say goodbye to friends and family and uh, might see if I can um, jump on the bench possibly. Last thing I want to do is a Matt Duffy or Bryn Gatlin and come on and starting and take away some poor guys. I'm um, all hard work throughout the year, which they tend to do. With burner, or right. is it the
3: insurance they, bill? I, I don't know. I, I don't right. know. Is it the insurance <laughs> bill or is it that? That's don't paint that's do, yourself, yourself pretty, pretty, mate. Don't paint yourself pretty, pretty, mate. And don't do anything. Bryn
2: Three finals for Taka Pernan's lost them all, you know. should
3: have started their 10 they've had there. So, uh, <laughs> Listen but, to uh, it. We'll see, um, to we'll it. see oh, TJ. He's on his way out we'll of the game. It, he's late to buses. He's now calling players out. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's it, fellas. Thanks very much. It's been a great pleasure being with you. Cheers, mate.
2: Cheers, TJ.
1: OK, uh, that's it for this week's edition of Aotearoa Rugby Pod. It has been a great pleasure to step in off the bench. I'm sure someone who knows a lot more about what they're doing will be back in charge next week. We'll see you then.